Welcome to this Respiratory Compromise Institute podcast, featuring talks from leading thinkers at the Respiratory Compromise Symposium during the 2018 AARC Congress. The mission of the Respiratory Compromise Institute is to prevent suffering and death from respiratory compromise by optimizing its recognition, monitoring, and management. This episode goes into the first part of the symposium's Medicare data mining section. In it, Dr. James Lamberti reviews the data regarding respiratory failure occurring after hospitalization. Let's dive right in. Sydney Brayman and myself um, did an analysis of some Medicare claims data. And what I'm going to do is walk you through kind of the background so you understand how the whole situation of claims data analysis works and what we found. And I concentrated mostly on respiratory failure that occurred after hospitalization. So these are my uh, uh, conflicts, none of which should involve what we discussed today. So these are our learning objectives. We're going to review the utilization of administrative healthcare data to investigate real-world clinical problems. And I think that this is something that most of us as healthcare providers really don't do on a, you know, on a daily or, 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 or regular basis. So I think we need to kind of understand what the limitations and the benefits are of using these claims, these very large claims data sources. We're going to discuss the analysis of our CMS claims data of respiratory failure that developed after hospitalization. So when we talk about healthcare administrative data, what are we talking about? I mean, in, in the short discussion, it is billing data. So when an individual is admitted to a hospital, they, the hospital, needs to provide codes, and those codes are what are called now ICD-10. Uh, the data that we used was still ICD-9. So these are codes of diagnoses, and then there are also codes of procedures uh, that generally uh, healthcare providers, generally physicians, will be using for billing as well. What we need to understand, though, is that these are, there's very strong pros. What, what are those? Well, that this is real-world data. This is not a randomized controlled trial where patients are selected. This is the real world. This is your hospital, my hospital. This is, is how things are happening. These are large groups of patients. When I show you the, uh, the data from the Medicare um, um, subset, uh, we look at a 5% uh, group of patients with Medicare and then extrapolate to the entire Medicare population. There's no additional cost. There's no additional work in collecting the data. The data is there. It's all about analyzing the data. And we can look at long periods of time, and we can compare periods of time uh, over you know, decades. So what are some of the cons? So the, these data are billing data. You know, individuals will ask, well, you know, what was the blood pressure? What was the respiratory rate? None of that data is available. What we have are codes, and what we're going to do is use those codes in a way that we can determine whether the respiratory failure was present on admission or occurred after 24 hours, but that's really what we're able to tell. Once again, Case selection is based on the codes, and, and you do need to have some validation studies. And I'm going to actually show you a validation study that came out uh, very um, uh, contemporary to as we were working on this that really does speak to uh, how good the codes are for defining mechanical ventilation. And once again, 
we are not able to prove cause and effect. What we are able to say is that we are going to show that there is an association, and it really is, uh, I would say, hypothesis generating, that we take this study, the study that Sydney is going to discuss, and move forward and try to come up with better and further studies to examine uh, these problems. And as a way of an example, um, this is from our cardiology um, um, uh, individuals that, that found a similar problem and published it in, in, in JAMA in 2014. And what they did is they, very similar to us looking at administrative claims data, looked at individuals that had ST segment elevation MIs and those that were identified in the emergency room, present on admission, and those individuals that developed ST segment elevation myocardial infarction while hospitalized. As you know, ST segment elevation MIs require prompt diagnosis, prompt initiation of therapy, usually uh, uh, interventional therapy. So about 5% of ST segment elevation MIs occurred after hospitalization. And if you look and compared inpatient versus outpatient, so once again, these are individuals that were admitted for another problem and unfortunately uh, developed their MI in the hospital. You would think that would be the best place for them to develop their acute myocardial infarction. No. In fact, the individuals that were diagnosed in the emergency room with an ST segment elevation MI had a mortality rate of 9%, but if you developed your heart attack once you were hospitalized, the mortality rate was over threefold higher. It was 33%. So using that as the basis, that's the hypothesis that I used in analyzing uh, uh, our data. So the hypothesis is that acute respiratory failure diagnosed after hospital admission, which I will call hospital-acquired respiratory failure, has an increased mortality compared to acute respiratory failure diagnosed on hospital admission. This is the methodology, and it is a little complex, but I'll walk you through it. It really isn't. Uh, first of all, there is um, Medicare standard analytic files that are randomly selected 5% um, group of all individuals that had inpatient admissions to short-term acute care hospitals. So once again, a random sample, 5%. We looked at three years' worth of data from 2012 to 2014. We used ICD-9, once again, this was uh, pre-2014, uh, ICD-10 was not in place yet, and we used uh, procedure codes for ventilation or ICD-9 diagnosis codes for acute respiratory failure uh, to make the diagnosis of respiratory failure. However, those codes do not have a timestamp. Those codes are used by the hospital at hospital discharge to give a diagnosis. So there is no, you know, this occurred on day four of hospitalization, this occurred on day one. What we used to, uh, as a surrogate, is the physician billing codes. So the physician billing codes um, are also ICD-10, and, and what we said was, if on any day, two or greater, one or more of the physician visits use the diagnosis of acute respiratory failure or a CPT code for critical care, that's when we started the clock is when the respiratory failure started. So once again, the ICD-9 codes 
um, for the hospital are not time stamped. So that's why we needed to use the physician billing codes. So these are the results. First of all, we, we classified the individuals into two separate cohorts. One were medical uh, DRGs, the second was surgical DRGs. And there were about 16,000 patients that had a medical DRG that developed respiratory failure after hospitalization. There were about 18,000 patients with a medical DRG that had respiratory failure present on admission. So first off, what we're seeing is that there's almost as many individuals who develop respiratory failure after hospital admission as are diagnosed present on admission. And one of the first things uh, we looked at just to make sure there was no difference between the two groups was the DNR status. And in fact, the DNR status was almost identical uh, between the two populations. If we look at mortality, we see a similar finding as what our cardiologist colleagues found in uh, ST segment elevation myocardial infarction. Individuals that acquired their respiratory failure in the hospital had a 32.7% mortality. Those individuals who had the diagnosis made on admission had a 27.8% uh, uh, in-hospital mortality. Similar findings uh, were present for 30-day uh, post-hospitalization mortality. And once again, what we have to realize looking at these data is that respiratory failure is a very mortal uh, diagnosis. I mean, if you add those up for hospital acquired, we're approaching a 50% um, in hospital as well as 30-day post-hospital mortality rate. This is a dive into the ICD-9 diagnosis codes and, and looked at was there a statistical relationship between those individuals that had hospital acquired or respiratory failure present on admission. And on the left-hand uh, column, what we find is, in particular, congestive heart failure, sepsis, and diabetes were associated with hospital-acquired respiratory failure. What we were surprised about is there was much less um, pre-existent chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. These were patients that I think respiratory failure was not suspected as much uh, as we might have suspected uh, it in diseases like COPD. On the right-hand column are those uh, diseases that had a uh, statistical difference for respiratory failure present on admission, and those were uh, atrial fibrillation, acute kidney failure, uh, pneumonia, and urinary tract infection. Once again, hypothesis generating. I don't think there's uh, much that I can uh, claim based on the ICD-9 diagnosis codes. So right as we were working on this, uh, the University of Pennsylvania um, uh, published a paper in uh, our Blue Journal in 2016 that looked at the validation of similar coding strategy as we used for uh, defining mechanical ventilation. And what they looked at were, were very similar codes uh, for invasive mechanical ventilation or uh, uh, ICD-9 diagnosis code for acute respiratory failure and found that they were very specific. So specific means if a person wasn't ventilated, how often will the definition be negative? So a true positive. That was about 90%. On the other hand, the sensitivity was about 63% uh, with the use of these administrative claims code. But an important finding, and I think this uh, affects uh, what Sydney will be discussing, 
there was a major difference between coding for medical and surgical DRGs. And I'm not sure if that's a uh, indictment of our surgical colleagues, but you know, this was a true validation study. So they went into the medical record and found out were these patients truly invasively ventilated? And what they found on the medical side, the use of codes the ICD-9 procedure code for invasive mechanical ventilation or a diagnosis code for acute respiratory failure had a sensitivity of 76% and a specificity of 87%. But if you look at the surgical side, the specificity goes up. It's actually 97%, but a lot of the patients that got ventilated were not coded. So on the surgical side, less than half of the patients were captured uh, with the use of just administrative claims code. So, I mean, I think that that's the best um, uh, validation study that's out there, and I think we have to use that when we look at our uh, data in regards to medical versus surgical. So I think the conclusions that we can reach from uh, at least this Medicare um, uh, claims uh, data is that we can use these data to uncover trends to generate hypotheses for further clinical research. If we look at three years of Medicare claims data, I think what we can say is, number one, almost as many patients developed respiratory failure after 24 hours in the hospital, which I will call hospital-acquired respiratory failure, than had respiratory failure present on admission. If you annualize the numbers, remember we looked at a 5% sample and it was over three years. If you analyze, uh, I'm sorry, annualize the numbers, it's over 100,000 patients that our Medicare beneficiaries develop hospital-acquired respiratory failure each year. Patients with hospital-acquired respiratory failure had a higher mortality than patients with respiratory failure present on admission. It was about a 5% difference. And what we found was congestive heart failure, hypertension, sepsis, and diabetes were more prevalent in patients developing hospital-acquired respiratory failure versus respiratory failure present on admission. Thanks for listening to this Respiratory Compromise Institute podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, visit respiratorycompromise.org for more information on research, education, and prevention.